Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, you good to go? Yep. Hello and welcome back to the Manchester United weekly podcast. The Reds lose again to Everton, the worst Everton team we may ever see. Challenged in a relegation battle, but Frank Lampard left smirking at the end as his team beats United 1-0 thanks to a first half deflected goal from Anthony Gordon. A game which United started relatively okay, but things uh, very, very quickly descended into a performance which leaves you... Angry, apathetic, bored, frustrated, sad, I think more than anything for most Manchester United fans. So welcome to the episode, to Series 7, Episode 30. We need not remind you again, but this season started with hope and excitement and this is pretty much the fifth or sixth month on the bounce where things kind of feel a little bit hopeless. I'm Harry Robinson and with me as always is Jack Tate and I think the best way through this, Jack, is to go as Alan Partridge as possible and avoid talking about the football for as long as we can. So to begin with, it's Easter weekend, or it's Easter week even, I'm sat here with a snack. What do you make of uh, flavoured hot cross buns? Have they made their way across the pond yet? They haven't really, no. I think the, uh, <laughs> There's a curveball there. The Easter snack market in general is is very lacking, I would say, in the US. You get the, the sort of odd lint bunny, but Easter eggs are definitely not... Uh, not They're as not. common. That is something that I miss. No, I, you know, I used to love as a kid just having a big bowl of, uh, sort of pieces of Easter egg that you just break up and put into a bowl in the fridge and you just go grab uh, some whenever you wanted. Just the best. An institution, I'd say. Well, yeah, I'm sorry with a salted caramel and Belgian chocolate hot cross bun from Aldi. Much recommended. Oh, that does sound good. They're very nice. Actually, speaking of, are you, are <laughs> yeah. you a chocolate in the fridge person? This is a debate I have with my girlfriend all the time. Um, this is so partridge, but uh, for an Easter egg, yeah. For anything else, not really. Although if I lived in a hot country and not South Manchester, I might have a different opinion <laughs> on that. I feel like I could leave chocolate in my room and it, it comes out it's pretty much frozen sometimes, <laughs> especially with these energy prices. So um, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Audi hot cross buns, much recommended, but we should talk about football and uh, yeah, hot cross buns, hot, bothered, bored, apathetic, angry reds. Um, 
it, it, but, but cold on the on the crossing front yeah. because our crosses are terrible. Yeah, exactly. There we go. We managed it. We managed a good segue. What a transition. It was terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, as an overall thing, it was terrible. But I think what, what's sad is, is that I think the overwhelming feeling at the moment, I think for some people is one of anger, but I think for a lot of us, me included, is... I don't know whether it's apathy or, or sadness. It's it's a mixture of the two, really. And there is that anger kind of simmering, but it's it's a sadness that we can lose to a relegation threat inside near the end of the season. And did I care that much? No, because for two reasons. A, we have very little to play for. Maybe three reasons. B, it, we've got used to it. And C, yeah, I didn't expect anything more. I think I said kind of jokingly, I expected us to lose on the on the podcast last week. But then throughout the week, I genuinely thought we were going to lose. Even when Everton lost to Burnley, I thought, I, I tell you what, I thought if we got an early goal at Goodison and the crowd got on their backs, we could have really done them in. As we've spoken about before, we're quite a confidence-based team in terms of our quality. But I did kind of think we were going to go there and lose. And and we did in in pretty kind of predictable way, I'd say. Yeah, I, I, I think the for me, my emotions are sort of they're a, bit, a bit of everything at the moment. The anger to me comes, I think, during the game at little moments. You know, I feel angry at yeah stupid mistakes. I think is is where I feel my anger. But normally, when United lose, or not not necessarily when we lose, but especially when we lose in a bad way, or you know, in a game where we really shouldn't be losing. My anger sort of stays for, you know, a few hours afterwards and you just remain kind of angry at at what's happened and, and maybe at the players a little bit. But to be honest, I, I do still get angry at like those individual moments where players just make stupid decisions. But after the game, it's just, it's, it's more sadness. And yeah. to be honest, I don't think I've thought as little about a United defeat two hours after the game as I do about this one because yeah, I do agreed, feel sad probably. about the state of the club at the moment but I also like you said I don't care enough at the moment for it to occupy my mind for you know hours and hours after the game which is what normally happens I don't think I've ever felt as I don't want to say disinterested because I am still interested but disinvested was the phrase that I used on Twitter. I just don't feel yeah. very invested in this season or this team at the moment. And we know how quickly, two things to kind of say first, A, a we kind of, we did this bit last week, but for anyone who didn't listen, we were talking about how, how great a crime it is to take something that evokes such passion in people and make them disinterested in it is not just kind of a, a crime in in from a, a personal point of view, but also just how how can how can you have that level of failure to do that? It's it's astonishing really to take something people care so deeply about and make them just think, oh, well, another one, forget it. And the other thing to point out is how quickly things can change. Um people in nineteen eighty nine or or the start of nineteen ninety didn't expect much from Fergie's team. And I'm not saying we're there, we're very clearly not, we haven't even got a manager. Um but also think about how much we liked this team a year ago. And in a year's time, we might really like this team again. So there's that to say, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I've I've never moved on from a game and a defeat quicker. Just did not care too much about it. And and, and I guess that's learning from the from the rest of the season, isn't it? We've we've had enough experience now that I kind of know that what's best for me is uh my survival instincts kick in and say yeah, you don't need to care about this. You'll you'll be happier if you don't. Yeah, exactly. And also, just 
because there isn't much to play for anymore. You know, like yeah. defeats are obviously much worse when the stakes are so high. You know, if you sort of go back to the Europa League final, which is probably the sort of most, maybe not the worst, but like the most disappointing defeat because there was so much potentially for us to, to gain from winning that we've had recently. Like that is a, that was something that's, it's sort of like gut-wrenching for, you know, a few days afterwards. But at this point, it's just the stakes don't even feel very high because, yeah, we lost, but would I have been that happy if I if we won? Yeah. Not really. And so it's like, sure, I'm, I'm upset that we lost, but I don't really feel like I've... It, it doesn't feel like that game has, has made me lose that much, mm. if that makes sense. Because what I stood to gain from it if we won was also quite little, I guess is, is sort of the way I look at it. And to your point about how quickly things change, it's true. Like, because I'm disinterested or, dis, you know, not as invested in this team right at the moment, doesn't mean that come the start of next season, I'm not going to be incredibly excited because I will pretty much whatever happens well, even, with the manager, even if I think that we get every decision wrong over the summer, I'm still going to be excited. For yeah. And even season. sooner than that, it, it's silly, but I will go to the Norwich game on Saturday at three o'clock and the atmosphere as it was against Leicester when we'd had a few weeks off. And I, I, I was interested to see what the atmosphere would be like at that game. I think we spoke about it last week. But I was interested because we'd had three weeks off. We'd, we'd gone out of the Champions League to Atleti. It felt like there wasn't much to play for. Top four didn't, we certainly weren't favourites even going into that Leicester game, which we drew. And the atmosphere was, was really good to begin with. And the team didn't give enough back to sustain that for, for the 90 minutes and really to sustain it beyond half an hour. I think it will be slightly different against Norwich on Saturday. I think a lot of, there will be lots of people who either don't show up or, or, or look to sell their tickets. But then there will be lots of people coming over for their one game of the season. I have a mate doing exactly that who's coming over from Israel for his one game kind of every few years and he will enjoy it whatever happens. And I will enjoy it kind of the day whatever happens and I'll be there. And by the time three o'clock comes around, I'll get up for it because that's the nature of being a football fan. So it's not just even next season. It's how stupid this sport and um, yeah, passion is I, I long for a game already I mean we had it against Atleti but I already long for a game that actually really means something proper mm-hmm. even though it's only been about a month without well three weeks without one yeah well and, and I think the, the longing comes not just from how long it's been since the last one but it's more just that there aren't there isn't any expectation that any meaningful game is going to happen anytime soon yeah you know realistically our next meaningful game is going to be the opening Premier League weekend and next season yeah and that is quite a depressing sort of state to to be in. Th- things do change quickly. quickly. Like it, it, it comes back and it takes very little. It, I think the, the beauty of football and the beauty of, you know, Man United, not just United, all, all football teams being, being things that people are so passionate about and care about so much is that it takes a lot less to get people interested again than it does to make them disinterested in the first place. You know, and... It's taken really a whole season of us not playing very well mm. to get to a point where we now feel like this. But it will only take a couple of games, or maybe more than a couple of games because it's this season <laughs> because of we don't have much to play for. But say next season or even over the summer, it will only take a couple of things to happen to get me, to get most fans fully invested and interested in this team again yeah it's not going to take very much it is still there it is, it is sort of a temporary thing that's brought on by you know the, the unique nature of our circumstances it's not just that we're playing badly it's also that what is happening now 
it obviously is relevant to what's going to happen going forward because it's still a lot of the same players and stuff, but it's not the same manager. We we sort of know that the rest of this season isn't going to be that representative of of next season. So it's, yeah. it's sort of the but what's mad is to make people. What what's mad is had we got a better result against Leicester and Everton, is we'd probably be favourites for the top four now because Arsenal have flipped yeah. up and yeah. people expect Spurs to slip up. Although they had a great result at the weekend against Aston Villa. I mean, yeah, we'd be a point ahead of Arsenal by now, I think, if we'd have beat Leicester and beat... Could I put aside the fact that I know what this United team are like and I was just looking at the table, I would say we still had a chance of top four. But knowing what I know, having seen the last few weeks, I don't think we have a chance of top four, if that yeah. makes sense. I mean, yeah, we'd be we'd be a point ahead of Arsenal. If we'd have beaten Leicester and, and Everton, we'd be a point ahead of Arsenal, two points behind Spurs, and Arsenal would have one game in hand. We would have played the same as Spurs. So... Basically, we'd be two points behind yeah. for in the race of fourth with eight games to go. Or seven games to go, sorry. Which And we still yeah. have to play Arsenal. I think Arsenal and Spurs still have to play each other. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about the, the game specifically because we haven't done that yet. I thought, to take the first five minutes to begin with, because I thought we did, before they scored, I thought we grew into the game a little bit for probably a 15-minute spell. Uh, Rashford forced two saves from Schmeichel, one a long shot, one a, a downwards header. There were a couple of other good moments. Um, but the first five minutes alone, I thought we just really played into their hands. And this is a, well, yeah, a naivety, I think, that we've had for quite a long time. And that the absence of fans during the height of the pandemic meant that we, this kind of naivety wasn't on show. And hence we could go 29 games on the road unbeaten in the Premier League. But we have a tendency to go to grounds like these and kind of just play into their hands in the same way we played into Atletico Madrid's hands at, at Old Trafford. In that case, it was kind of reacting to their little fouls or making the fouls or, or yeah, reacting to the, the pettiness that wins some games. In this case at Goodison, it was just giving away the ball too cheaply or um, taking throw-ins too quickly, which isn't something you'd normally uh, level at, at this team. But like in the first five minutes alone, I can think of times where Maguire, Wambasaka, Bruno and Fred all conceded possession, just as sloppy passes. And you just thought, it's, it's the same thing we did at the Etihad actually, is we didn't, we played well in that first half, but within minutes of a Manchester derby, we're already being really sloppy. And you just thought this is playing into their hands, letting the, in this case, the Goodison crowd get up and support their team. Because if there's one team that, an Everton relegation threatened Everton having been lost at Burnley midweek can get up for it's the visit of Manchester United and then we let them do that instead of making a fast start and professional and a clinical start and being a bit ruthless but we haven't got that ruthless streak at the moment I guess Oh, we don't have the ruthless streak and we also I think don't have I think maybe the nous of, of and, and and the recent sort of experience of winning games, like you said, we we did sort of play into everything that the Everton fans and the Everton players sort of wanted. You know, they want that that really sort of feeble atmosphere in the stadium, and we sort of played into that because we allowed the game to become quite almost like helter skelter at times, which it really isn't what you want at all. Because what you want is actually quite a slow start. You want to control the game for you, not give them a, sti- a sniff, and just keep the game in your control, even if you're not actually scoring or creating chances, like mm. that actually can be fine in, a, in an away game. If you are, you, be, you you almost just want to take the sting out of the occasion, especially, Goodison Park is always a tough place to go. It's, the atmosphere is always great there, especially when they're playing a team like United. But especially now when they're on the brink of potentially getting relegated, you know, they're, 
it was always going to be loud and it was always going to be a good atmosphere, but it was also going to be a crowd and atmosphere that could have very easily turned as well. And, and showed signs of turning. Yeah, like Everton are one of the few fan bases that are more angry at their team than United <laughs> are at the moment, yeah. and rightly so. You know, like it, it was would have been quite easy actually for us to to create a really hostile atmosphere for Everton at home, and and we just we just didn't really do it. Uh, annoyingly, we we didn't play into sorry we did play into their hands, but it could have been so different because we started the game okay. I'm not saying we were great, but you know, we had a couple of chances. Beyond yeah, beyond that first five minutes, there was a point where we we had kind of got away with starting yeah. sloppily and then started and then started yeah, to do the right like things, which was 17, 18 minutes. We 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 did pretty well. We were okay. Yeah. Know? That was when Rashford had a couple of chances. And you saved. could you could start to hear the groans and you could they, you could sense the frustration coming about and you just thought, two more minutes of this and and get a goal and, and this game will be ours, no problem. Yeah, and it and it felt sort of what you said at the start. It felt like a game where if you could get one and, and really sort of get them get under the the crowd's skin and get under Everton's skin, it felt like a game where you could have ran away with it four or five nil. Yeah, and you know it was it was just so disappointing. And then the the response was it just it, to be honest, it just feels like we have no. I don't. I, I actually I don't even think it's like a a mentality problem really. I, I don't think the players gave up, and I don't think that there's sort of anything wrong in terms of like mentally how we approach the game in terms of like not wanting it enough or you know not being strong or resilient enough when we go one nil down I honestly don't think it's that I just think that we just panic and and when you panic you you sort of default back to whatever sort of comes naturally and not to things that have been drilled into you and I think that means that yeah but then this this game did feel there was definitely I think there was a mentality problem in this game beyond the first goal and I mean, De Gea said it after the game. He said once they scored, it felt like we weren't gonna, we were gonna lose the game. Uh, uh, what minute did they score? And what in the mid twenties or something? Yeah, it was about 20, maybe one half hour mark. He said, "I thought we were gonna lose one 0 or maybe two 0 on the counter attack." And that's, and then he also went and said, "I didn't make a save in the second half, but I didn't think we were gonna win the game." And he's just, they're, I think they're, they're. But is that is that a mentality thing though, or is that just a lack of confidence? Well, that, that's part of it, isn't it? Well, I, I mean, I guess you could say they're they're sort of the same. But I know like, what you mean. It, to you're, me, you're I, saying I, I say you're saying it's not problem, a problem deep down within them. It, it's a a problem caused a, a mentality problem caused by recent form. It's not like a personal fault. Right, exactly. And I, I don't think it's a mentality thing, mentality thing of like, oh, we're not up for the fight or anything like that. I, I just think it's that they don't have sort of the faith in themselves and and that they also don't have faith in the, the system and the team to actually stick within whatever the coaching staff have set them up to do. Everyone just sort of relies on trying to do things themselves and relies but in on... In which case that is... Yeah, in which case that is, uh, whether it's a mentality fault or an attitude problem, that is down to the players as well. There's lots of people to blame here. And, and this is similar to what we said under Van Arlen Mourinho that, and, and Solskjaer, that you can blame different, you can blame the players, you can blame the coaching staff, you can blame the owners, you can blame the setup, all in different amounts. It's just what portion of blame you put onto each. But this game felt... A lot more than others to me as a, a general optimist about United, this game and about the players as well. This one felt more, I've, I felt more that this was just really 
pathetic from the players in the way that they couldn't bring themselves up having conceded early, pretty relatively early in the game, the way that they couldn't get themselves to play at, to what, I mean, they didn't work harder than Everton, did they? If, if, if we'd lost that game 1-0 having conceded a, an unfortunate deflected goal, which it was definitely, and Everton didn't create much beyond that. Had we lost the game to that and we'd worked really hard for the next 75 minutes, but not been able to score. Okay. Frustrating, but not, I wouldn't put that person, I wouldn't put that all on the players. But as it was, you watched that game and you didn't think, you thought, yeah, Everton are working harder than us. And that's, I think that is down to confidence with these set, these players, with this squad. But with any good football squad, it shouldn't be down to confidence how hard you work. But I think it is with this this setup. And I think it's confidence. And also just, I said, I think people, pretty much every player in our team becomes an individual when we go down. And I think it's been a pattern we've yeah. seen all season that every time we've, we've needed to come back from from 1-0 or one goal down. It's it's felt like we've just panicked so quickly. And and then it's like, if we don't get... A, it, we, we play as if it's the, the 85th minute for the entire game after we go 1-0 yeah. go down. And it it happened then. I think that's a problem. And that, that, that feeds into this whole thing of not working as hard because then you start playing the game as if like, well, we just need to get the ball in the box as quickly as we can. I don't, it doesn't matter about movement. We just got to get the ball wide and then cross it and get the ball in the box as quickly as possible. There's no, there's no sort of thought, there's no sort of structure to what we do. And that, that means that you don't work as hard because the football that you're playing is so simple and, and not effective. Uh, it just, yeah, I, yeah, it, it's been a problem all season. I go back to, what was the first, did we, was it, was it at West Ham in the, in one League of the Cup. cups that we lost to early yeah, in the League season? Cup. League Cup. That was the first time I, I remember noticing it. And there were a couple of other games around that time in the league, I think, as well. And, and maybe oh, plenty, yeah. Did was, we have uh, an extra time win in the FA Cup early in the season? Uh, not, no, sorry, the, maybe the round before West Ham and the League Cup. Didn't we win an extra time? Uh, no, West Ham was, West Ham was the first exactly. game. But there was, there was Villa where we lost 1-0. There was Everton where we drew 1-1, both at Old Trafford, in, in that same yeah, two-week yeah, yeah. period. Was, I think it's Villa that I'm yeah. talking about. And, yeah, that was like the first time you sort of noticed it, where it was just like there was no real thought going into everything. It, it, we, it just felt so desperate when it didn't need to be. Yeah, and that's the thing against Everton. Everton had just conceded three goals to Burnley in midweek. Now this isn't a good team defensively. All you needed to do was have some patience and actually just pull them apart with some good movement, some good football, move the ball quickly. It's not hard to create chances against them. I'm not saying yeah. that would have meant we would have won the game. We saw against Watford, you know, there are days when you can create millions of chances and just for whatever reason, you don't manage to put the ball in the net. And I, and you know what, as disappointed as that would have been, I would have been okay with that. We, we didn't really even create anything in the second half. Yeah, it's interesting you raised Watford because in the same way that confidence clearly affected this Everton game and going behind affected it, it it has, I mean, the the Ranić interim experiment is is failing. Uh, well, it has failed. He won't get United in the top four. He won't win us a trophy. He has stabilised things to a very small extent, but it's not as if we're ending the season with any certainty or or the squad's not set up particularly better than it was when Solskjaer left. So it it has failed. Um, but there were times, and not just the, the first half against Palace on December the 5th, but there were times in February where you thought, this we're getting close here. Like the Watford game where we had lots of shots on target and, and drew. Like the Middlesbrough game where the same was true. 
uh, like the Southampton game where the same was true and like the Brighton game where we actually did win that one, but still didn't score as many as we should have done. And it, it's interesting because at, at this point you're thinking Randick's done a, a poor job, but it does make you think uh, what what if one of those games? I, mean, I think we said this at times. To be fair, what if one of those games had gone right and we'd won four 0 Yeah, I, I I really do think it would have made a big difference. Just it's felt to me like the players never fully bought in to what Rangnick's doing, and I and I don't mean that to say like you know, this is a dressing room full of uncoachable players or yeah. you know, there's too much player power, anything like that. I don't I don't think it was like kind of willful, I don't respect this manager or anything like that. I just don't think they ever saw enough evidence on the pitch to, to fully believe, like no matter what, I'm just going to carry out whatever the manager wants and that will, that will get us where we want to go. I almost think the players were never fully convinced by it. And therefore when things go wrong and things become really desperate, you stop relying on whatever the manager wants you to do. And you start just going back to whatever you naturally sort of whatever your natural instincts want you to do. And yeah, I think there were definitely times and Watford is the perfect example of it early on in Ranić's time at United, where we did play well enough to really steamroll teams. And for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And, and I think it probably has, I, mean, I think the, there was a time, I can't remember who we were playing at, uh, around this time. The one game I remember is losing to Wolves at home. But there was a time, I think it might have been just before or just after losing to Wolves, where Ranić's record was something like he, he'd lost like one or two of his opening, like 15 or 16 games as, as United manager. It was just and, that you know, one. Thing, it was, it was, the only game we lost was Wolves. Was, it was just that one, yeah. And, you know, things were going okay. We'd, it, the club felt like it had been stabilised after Solskjaer had left. But we also hadn't had that statement performance. Yeah. Yes, we hadn't, we hadn't really lost other than to Wolves, but we'd had a, quite a few draws, quite a few wins by just one goal. And yeah, we just never had that that performance where you could fully say, Ranić is going to move us forward for the rest of the season. And it, it just felt like since then, then, and we all knew that the, this tough period of fixtures was going to come where we played City, we played Chelsea, we had the, the Champions League and stuff. You know, it's, and it, it just never really it never came together before that tough fixture period. And we were always going to lose some of those games. And But once we did, instead of it just being a blip in an otherwise good run, it became sort of a nail in the coffin of a team that was already sort of on the way down. Yeah. And there's, there's two failings there, isn't there? There's one on the part of the players in, in not sticking with it as much as they could have done, despite that, that statement win not coming about. And the other is, is the coaches staff not being able to get them to stick with it, despite that. Because yeah, there there were very good signs. Not well. I also think I think Ranić gave up on his his style pretty quickly. He spoke a lot about kind of compromise and and adjusting to the squad. Uh, pretty much after after the Norwich game, his third game in charge. The the first half against Palace, you thought, yeah, we saw loads of signs of what we were expecting from Ralph Ranić's United team. And to be yeah, to be honest, I don't think we've seen. That since the first half against Norwich at all, really. We haven't seen that kind of having the overloads on each side when we have possession, switching things over from those overloads. We haven't seen that kind of swarming press using the touchline as kind of an extra defender. Uh, we haven't seen that kind of eight seconds before before your shot that was was talked about a lot when he was he was brought in. This does not look like a Ralph Rennick team from what we know and obviously he hasn't been a coach for, for some time before this job. He was in a, a director of football role at Lokomotiv Moscow and, and before that at Red Bull. Um, 
So maybe he's changed, but I don't think so from the way that he spoke. I think at the start and, and after a few weeks, I think he gave up on his style. And I wonder, I wonder whether he should have done that. Maybe didn't think the players were suitable, but maybe that's even more reason to do it to kind of show which ones are up to the challenge and, and not. But yeah, I think, I think we can now say it's been a, a failed interim spell as a overall. Yeah, it has been a failure on the pitch. Definitely. To be honest, I think when Ranjit was brought in, he was brought in more for the consultancy role than the interim manager, to be honest. And I think that is still going to be his biggest challenge because I think if he can actually be part of creating something good and meaningfully different with this new manager then to be honest I would view Ranjik as a, as a success at United despite everything that's gone in in for the rest of this season since he's been you know actually coaching the team yeah uh, that, that I don't think I, I think his consultancy role is going to be minimal in the extreme right, yeah that's what I was about to say I don't think he's going to be given the chance to make that happen. Uh, I think he's going to be very much on the sidelines, maybe consulted on a few transfers here and there. But even then, I don't think it's going to be, Ralph, give us a short list of players we should go after. I think it's going to be, Ralph, we're signing this player tomorrow. Do you agree? Yeah. It's not going to be a director of football role, which we hoped that it might be when he first got appointed. I found, um, he was talking before the, yeah, before the, the Everton game in his Friday press conference, he was asked, would you give advice to the new, the new manager? And he, he was kind of, he was doing that strange thing, which he does quite a lot actually, where he says, I'm not going to talk about that. This, this press conference is about the, the match and then goes on to do like a two minute answer on what he said. He's not going to talk about, um, which I'm not sure does him any favors in terms of getting the questions he wants, but I found it. He was basically saying yes, of course he would. And then I thought, well, also Ole did that. He Ralph called Ole for two hours. He said and had a long conversation about what this United squad was was about and what and, and any advice. And I thought this doesn't happen in in football very much. Pretty, I mean, pretty much not at all. Um, at least I haven't seen examples of it. I guess a, a, a famous example would be Liverpool in the seventies and eighties with. Fagan, Paisley and, and Shankly probably passing on advice onto each other might happen with national teams sometimes. And the kind of TV example I thought of was like president, US presidents leaving that little note on the, in the Oval Office when they leave for their successor. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I've, I'm, I'm certainly an advocate of it. An advocate of, of leaving sort of notes and advice behind for your successor. Yeah. There's no one better to, I mean, to yeah. give you advice than the man who's failed. Yeah, I don't. I don't really see any reason why you wouldn't do it. To be honest, you know, why? Why would you not go to them for for advice? I, I kind of understand it from from the point of view of the person leaving. If they leave on sort of bad terms or with any amount of bitterness, but from the, oh, per- yeah, from the person yeah. coming in, succeeding them, yeah, why would you not go to the the person who was in the job directly before you for for some help? It, you know, I, I, again, it. It, it kind of comes down to what kind of role Ranić is actually given, if any. And I, I can, you can only hope, I guess, that whatever manager comes in, that they do want to involve Ranić and, and will benefit from the fact that even if he doesn't have an official role in an unofficial capacity, he definitely will be a great resource for whatever manager we, are, we have next to give some advice and give some insight into what he felt in the players as well. You know, that will be a unique but really valuable part of this whole setup I think it, how how often do you ever see in football that you know you have the, the the guy who was previously managing the team still in the building 
oh, you know, when you take over, it doesn't happen. So we should take advantage of that that sort of benefit that we have yeah, from this. definitely. I mean, I, I suppose it's because we're not winning as well, but this isn't the first time we've kind of, this season, got onto something where you think, how is that not more of a thing in football? I feel like we spoke about substitute coaches earlier in the season, didn't yeah. we? And, and like separate substitute rooms for subs to warm up in before they come on so you can get a touch of the ball rather than just kind of stretching. That was one of them. Um, this seems an, another kind of obvious thing to do that, that isn't done very much. I mean, the key reason it isn't is the thing you mentioned that most managers tend to leave in acrimonious fashion uh, at, at most clubs, at most levels. I also, I also think there's a big ego thing there as well. Like, I think, you know, managers have big egos. And even if it's even if it's a situation where a manager is like retiring or, you know, deciding to leave at the end of a season, like there's a big ego thing that whoever comes in next wants to be seen to be doing everything themselves. Yeah. But you can be seen to be doing everything yourself and, and really behind the scenes be yeah. cheating by just copying someone else. That's the the key to success, in my opinion. Um, yeah, Norwich on Saturday. Incredibly, I have no faith we'll win this game. Do you? <laughs> no. No, I don't. Um, I think we, we, we should win it and we obviously could win it. Just, but I, I'm certainly not confident. And... and- and Norwich at Old Trafford, the bottom tape, the bottom team in the league, and I'm not confident for it. I don't think I'd be confident playing any team in the league at the moment. I really wouldn't. Well, the, yeah, this is, the, this the, is the it. Thing Norwich is, well, is, is the one we're playing. Norwich also, like a couple of weeks ago, they looked down. Like they looked like they they were gone. But now, especially after just beating Burnley yesterday, they're now only three points behind Burnley. Albeit, they, Burnley themselves are further four points behind Everton. So Norwich are still seven points from safety, but. They have more to play for than I yeah. thought they would at this stage of the season, to be perfectly honest. I think I saw they have a, there was a kind of projection of the chances of staying up for each of them. I think theirs was something like 11%, which is higher than, I mean, it, it's obviously low, but uh, that's that's a given, given their seven points adrift with uh, a game a game more played than Everton. Um, yeah, I think the chances of them staying up are low, especially after that Everton win. But they are still playing for something, unfortunately. So, yeah. That being said, I'm going to back us to win because it would be too depressing if I don't. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I, I'm not giving it a scoreline because I'm not convinced we will win. Um, is there anything else to talk about before we wrap things up and go to our Patreon Q&A? Uh, I guess there's a youth update. The under-23s are in Monaco this week. They're training for a few days there. They've got no Premier League 2 fixture this week. It's part of a kind of, they call it a bespoke games programme where they go to play European opposition. Um, helps their development, tries to replicate kind of a first team environment as well by travelling, get them ready for for moving into the first team. They'll play a behind closed doors friendly on Tuesday. The under 18s have a very busy April schedule, nine games uh, before the FA Youth Cup final which the date is yet to be announced. I think it'll be in May. Um, United and Forest are just toing and froing on which date it'll be played on. Forest want a slightly later date. United want a slightly earlier date. So tickets will be available for that as soon as the date's decided. The 18's having a bit inconsistent league form, but Ethan Ennis is in, in great form personally. I think he scored seven in seven now. He signed for United from Liverpool last summer. Had a bit of a slow start. Didn't look the part, to be honest, uh, but now does. Very much so, scoring some great goals, all different types as well, but mainly just beautiful curlers into the far corner. I think three of his seven have been that. Um, anything else? Women's international breaks are no game for them. They'll be back in still, I think, two weeks' time, not this weekend. So their, their top three battle will resume then. 
Anything else, Jack? No, don't think um, so. In our Patreon Q&A, we're going to talk about Harry Maguire and the captaincy and whether a new manager should change that. We are going to talk about how many years we might have to wait, um, whether we think the manager is the key or if it's the club structure. And on that same idea, do we need the equivalent to Michael Edwards or Tiki Burgerstein at Liverpool and City in terms of key figures at the top uh, and about why we don't come back anymore as we used to. So we're going to go to that. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, much appreciated. You know where to find us on Twitter if you want to give us your thoughts and opinions and see ours. But until next week, have a good one. Goodbye. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.